to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Make it so. Welcome back to the Next Next Generation Podcast. I'm Catherine. And I'm Charles. Today, we are unraveling Season 1, Episode 25, Conspiracy. What did you think about this episode? This episode was riveting. I think from the get-go, I was intrigued by the story. I really liked that there really wasn't an A and a B plot where we're bouncing back and forth. One being more interesting than the other. Here we had a single plot line that unfolded in an organic, natural way. One of the great things that they did in this episode was putting forth situations that made the audience ask questions. You're constantly wondering what's going to happen next, who's that, what's going on, and the tension that they built through this episode was some of the best we've had in this series so far. It reminded me of The Big Goodbye. I thought they did a really nice job executing this episode. One thing we've been complaining about in the last few episodes is how they start something and drop it. And this episode is a good reminder that you can indeed take some turns in the story, some tonal shifts, without actually dropping anything. That can all go together. This episode did that. If they're not going to include the very beginning as part of the episode, I like better what they did here where they were just headed somewhere for some fun. Basically, they said they had a scientific mission too, but it was going to be a pretty easy mission for them, I think. Beach episode. Yeah, which we knew wasn't going to happen. Oh, of course not. It's Star Trek. We don't have time for that. But even for something as unimportant as the sandy beaches of Pacifica, they still mentioned a couple times like, okay, now it's time to go to Pacifica. Okay, we canceled our trip to Pacifica. They didn't just forget they were going there. And they've forgotten things much more important in their trip to Pacifica in the past. They've forgotten things like suns, (laughs) entire starships, crystals. Yes, the abandoned premise has been a huge issue for the season so far. I'm glad to see that they didn't do that. They had a very funny, quippy opening, and they got into the plot. One episode I've come to appreciate more in retrospect has been Home Soil. That's an episode with only one plot where they shifted a lot. They shifted plots, they shifted tones, they even shifted genres. We kind of mentioned that in Home Soil. Other than Home Soil, the strongest episodes in the season have all had A and B plots that work together. This is the first one that's really reached some high heights for this show that only had one plot. Yes. I think adding to that, and we'll talk about this more maybe going forward, is the great establishing shots in this episode. Some really great artwork to establish the different planets and the different regions. I think you mentioned while we were watching that a few of the shots felt like Star Wars, kind of having the planet and the ship approaching. The wonderful views of San Francisco later in the episode, similar to how they handled Paris and we'll always have Paris and they had the beautiful Shots of the tunnel system and the big tube going underneath the Eiffel Tower. Here we also get some futuristic buildings with the background layer of Golden Gate Bridge. They've preserved that. Important 20th century architecture. Preserved for the future. Yep. We didn't look up the director or anything like that. 
But the tight pacing and those nice establishing shots and all that together, I think, suggests a better director for this episode. I don't know that to be a fact. It wasn't just the writing, which was really great. It was like the actual way the scenes played out and how they were acted and how they were cut together and all that stuff is like comes back to the director. So good cinematography, good director, and good editing all coming together to tell a convincing story. Yeah, I think sometimes our complaining about the writing is really a complaining about everything on production. The writers maybe contributed their pretty good ideas, but it takes more than that to make a good episode of TV. And that's very true. Yeah. We start with the first officer's log. He's excited about going to Pacifica. We don't know where Picard is. <laughs> it turns out he's just napping because this is really low stakes and Will is in charge. They have this little scene where they kind of get you in with the crew on a happy, relaxed moment where Jordy is telling Data a joke. He doesn't understand. He does this fake laugh. We laughed a lot. Jordy is just needs some reminding on why Data's his best friend at that very moment. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, wow, okay. Then it kind of moves to Riker and Deanna, like, hanging out. They seem like maybe they're back in together a little bit. That might be coming up soon. I like the way in which they were subtly establishing that they're on good terms. She's sort of looking at him somewhat affectionately. Maybe mm-hmm. they're back together, maybe not. We don't know. They were having a normal conversation, but their body language seemed couple. The way they were leaning towards each other. Yeah, I agree. I liked how they were reacting to what Data and Jordy were doing. Like, they were paying attention. That's directing. You could clearly see they were reacting to something that was happening in the scene that they weren't necessarily part of. But it panned over to them. And then Worf doesn't like swimming because it's too much like bathing. Bathing. Ugh. Klingons need to smell. They're not real warriors and they have a stench. Are you truly fearsome if your smell isn't fearsome as well? All these happy moments are rapidly brought to an end. (laughs) Very rapidly. (laughs) Wow, is it rapid. (laughs) And this is not a complaint. This is not a dropping thing. This was just cute little establishing, oh, happy Enterprise crew. Boom. Code 47 for Picard's ears only. So they wake him up. I liked that they showed them taking rotations. Obviously... Picard can't be on the bridge all the time. And now you see that Riker has a huge responsibility running the ship when Picard's not around or sleeping. That was great. Oh, I imagine at times when it's not as busy, when they're just on these long trips to other places, that they even get down to like Data and Geordi running it. Yeah. Because they show a lot Rikers on the bridge with Picard. They can't be doing opposing shifts. That's true. So it has to be other people taking more responsibility and command. And they've shown in the show, Riker, Data, Geordi, all stepping up and being the responsible captain. Picard's asleep, gets the message. It's his old friend Walker, Keel Walker. Oh yes, Keel Walker, the short-lived. Spoilers. I was just relieved he wasn't an admiral when he showed up on screen, but... It was a short-lived relief because he has the crazy eyes. Completely. He went to the Will Wheaton School of Acting. (laughs) (laughs) Although Will Wheaton has gotten so much better, I have to give him that. Captain Walker has the crazy eyes. He's talking about a conspiracy thing, things that they didn't think were possible are happening in Starfleet. 
we were already thinking about coming of age and Admiral Quinn, which they bring up later. They do. In fact, Admiral Quinn is in this episode, so there's some great tie-in there. We'll get to that later, though. Walker wants Picard to meet him on Ditalics B. He says, you owe me, very emphatically, and you owe yourself, to come and don't tell anyone. Subspace is not secure enough for this. So only on the merits basis of their friendship, Picard goes back out to the bridge. Everything is different. It's very ominous. Doesn't tell the crew anything except where they're going and that nothing will be recorded. And they take off. Yeah, he was quite commanding in this scene. He just comes out, tells them what to do, doesn't explain himself. You can feel the tension in the room and the reaction shots are great as well. It was owned by this mining company, but they are done mining Ditalics B. Great rendezvous point for some covert conversations about conspiracies. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) we don't know what's going to happen. This could be an ambush to murder Picard. Like, who knows? Yeah, it's an ominous setting for sure. And you really don't know what's going to happen. And I liked that ambiguity. And it really pulls us as a viewer along with the story. This is a great use of the we don't know more than the crew thing. We have had some isolated cases where it's been good to know a little more, but this is a real vote for not knowing anything. This episode is. Yeah, I agree. I think some of the strongest episodes we've seen so far have used this. Mm -hmm. And in general, when we follow that thread of we don't know what's going on, just like they don't know what's going on, it really gives us a more thrilling ride, I think. So they get to the planet. It's abandoned. It has this cool thing where it doesn't rotate. So one side is always in the sun and one side is always at night of the planet. And there's a temperate zone. That's where they mined, right on the edge. They get there and there are three ships in orbit, which is shocking because it's an abandoned planet. And one of them is the Horatio, which is Walker's ship. Everyone knows that already. They all have that stuff memorized, like who's in charge of various ships. There's only so many ships in Starfleet. The exact number we don't know. They haven't established that within the confines of the show. But it was ominous to have so many all in one location. And when he gets down to the planet, the ominous vibes continue with that really great set. Yeah, it's just red. They see the three life signatures on the planet at the edge of an abandoned mining tunnel. And Picard is like, I'm beaming down. Oh, he beams down to the planet alone, so the crew is probably freaking out. They probably think Picard knows all this stuff about what's going on, but he totally doesn't. All he knows is that his BFF, Walker, is down there. He gets there, and he's held at phaser point by two other people, and Walker asks him identifying questions, and we find out that Walker was in with Beverly and Jack Crusher. I can finally stop calling him Mr. Crusher now. (laughs) Jack. Yeah, they were all together when they were 20 or whatever. I really feel bad for Riker in the situation, right as the captain is beaming down. We know from the very first episode that he is not a fan of captains being on world off ship. He really even questions the captain, are you going alone? And he's going alone. This is the second time that Riker has been put into the dark. Again, the predecessor story of coming of age. Same situation happen Mm -hmm. when they're being investigated by Quinn and Rimmick. You have this tension built between them now. 
Riker's taking it pretty well, though. He is. I think it's still at the point where he doesn't actually feel shut out yet. The thing with Admiral Quinn and Remick in Coming of Age was that Riker being in the dark went past the point where he thought Picard should have filled him in, Mm. where this, like, just happened. So he still... As impatient as he is, <laughs> it's still within his patience zone. Just like they're in the temperate zone <laughs> down on the planet. Yes, Riker too has a very, very narrow patience zone. <laughs> it waffles between just not caring and I need to know right now. And it also glows red. Very red. <laughs> Walker is talking about orders, evacuations, proposals, deaths, all these patterns that are emerging that are bad. They are not rights. Things are not going the way they should. But it's so hard to piece together because Starfleet is so spread out. He doesn't have all the information. There's been very little communication happening like there should be. Picard is like, wow, I had no idea, but we've been on the outer rim. We just don't get that information anyway. We're always limited communication. He didn't know that it was like that for ships that were more in with the normal happenings. Hmm. So they're all having a lack of communication. Starfleet is not functioning very well, and we've sort of mentioned that we thought it wasn't functioning very well in previous episodes as well. And it's always like, did they do that on purpose? Was it just lazy story writing? Now that they've done two episodes on this internal conspiracy thing in Starfleet, you could probably chalk it all up to intentional (laughs) writing, even though it may not have been, but they two out of 26 episodes is a lot. For a conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. There is trouble brewing back at home, and it's getting worse and worse, it seems. Walker, he says his first officer is affected. They went to Earth, and he's never been the same since. And he tells Picard, keep me updated. Keep us updated, him and the other two people that are there. Of course, we find out at least one of them is already affected. So Picard beams back. He tells Troy everything right away. That was an interesting choice. He's using the counselor as a gauge of how he should react emotionally. This is a great example in this episode throughout, actually, of Picard using his team members effectively. He does eventually tell everyone, but he takes his time doing it, and he uses them where he feels like they're going to be the best source of information to him as he tries to work through how he feels and what the logical course of action is to deal with this very difficult situation. Yeah, Picard operates more like a free agent most of the time but he's in this strict military organization and he's always having to balance what he wants to do and what he thinks is best with what's really going on in Starfleet and probably balance less than he would normally because of the unique mission of the Enterprise. Like part of the reason they gave it to him is because he won't always be able to rely on Starfleet command. He has to make his own choices. He just has so little information because of their distance from everything that's going on. Yeah, it's really tough to figure out what to do. Deanna's kind of a foil here. She says, like, they illicitly use this subspace system. They lured you to the planet. We don't know. They're not the ones trying to do something bad. She's just trying to get him to think through it. All valid points, I should say. Totally. It's a foil. It's not annoying or anything. It's a proper foil for him to start working through his thoughts. He decides to wait and see, basically, and she goes with that, even though she doesn't completely agree. Well, if you don't have information, the best thing you can do is wait and try to collect more of it. And so that's when he determines to change his course of action and get more information via data. Yeah, so they're heading back to Pacifica. 
he immediately gives Data this mission to comb through all the records and look for patterns. Data can look through information so fast that those patterns are obvious to him without going through multiple steps of simplifying and simplifying like we have to do. He does that automatically. So they're heading back to Pacifica. Data is busy. They don't get very far. Beverly bursts on the bridge and says she would have liked to have seen Walker, as we know they're friends. And tellingly, Picard doesn't tell her he saw him. He's going with what he promised. And then they almost immediately run into a disturbance in Sector 63. They head over there, and it's the Horatio destroyed. I think it's interesting that back on the planet, back on the mining planet, Walker did ask Picard to say hello to Beverly. And then when Beverly asked about it, he denies Walker being there. Did he say that? Legitimately did ask that. Well, he was just contradicting himself then. Because he said, tell no one. Yeah, he was contradicting himself. I thought that at the time as well. He probably has a crush on Beverly too and just couldn't help himself. I got that vibe, actually. (laughs) He was the one who introduced Jack and her. was sort of that thing where, you know, you're into the girl, but you don't really feel like you're the right person. So you introduce her to someone you know. And then you kind of hope that maybe at the fallout of it all, you'll swoop in and save the day, but then his career took off. I kind of get the feeling like Beverly was the only woman in their Starfleet class or something. One of the only ones, there are more women now, I think, than there were even 20 years before in Starfleet. Yeah. And like half the guys in the class were probably into her. And she was very attractive. Still is. Yeah. And she's a doctor, so she's not direct competition for a lot of them. That adds something, I think. They're not all vying for the same captain positions. She's doing something else. So now that this happens, it's getting real. And Picard tells everyone, well, all the top officers, what's happening. He refers to Admiral Quinn from coming of age. So we were confirmed about that. Well, we had speculated on that, that they might be setting up something bigger. And indeed they were because of this episode. We kind of speculated on it, but I didn't really think they would be playing that kind of long game. I was just thinking that we could remember that and look at it as a way to view future Starfleet actions. A framework. A framework, a lens. But yeah, they were actually setting up some long-range stuff, which is really cool. I mean, it's been eight episodes or something. It's uh, nice to have that payoff of they set something up and then they execute on it later and you get that continuity, which helps add to the realism and the world building of the show. Riker doesn't believe that a conspiracy is possible. (laughs) Meanwhile, cut to data, like, discovering things. Intriguing. (laughs) Fascinating. Oh. So, this is where we have our data of the day. Woohoo! Data data. of the day! Data is finding stuff out. He is. He's figuring it all out, putting all the conspiracy pieces together of his puzzle, and he is going to drop some knowledge bombs very soon. He's in the middle of all this information processing by the computer, and he says, intriguing or interesting something like that and the computer thinks he's giving a command and data says that was not a request i was simply talking to myself and he gets very excited because he's doing human stuff human stuff so data starts to tell the computer all the reasons humans talk to themselves and the computer interrupts him and tells him to shut up pretty much (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny that's a great data moment I love it when he makes these little epiphanies about his own humanity, and he always gets so happy when he realizes that he's imitating the humans almost on a reflexive subconscious level. He's progressing in his quest. He really is. Data reaches the end of his 
search and he comes into where Picard and Will are talking and tells them that there's been weird reshuffling of personnel. All the new officers that get appointed to these places have had contact with really high up Starfleet people, which is weird. It's also in kind of a triangle. We saw that on the screen. All these places that are getting taken over in weird ways are together. He thinks it's an attempt to control vital sectors of Starfleet's territory. Kind of control the core of what makes up Starfleet. And they have sort of covertly, one by one, established a foothold into the actual Federation space. Will kind of sarcastically suggests just walking up to Starfleet Command and demanding to know what's going on, (laughs) which is kind of the most extreme version of what a person like him would do. But Picard and Data, who are the more intellectual, see what happens, we'll see, kind of types, think about it for a second. They're like, hey. (laughs) You're like, you know what? Yeah. Why not? That's unexpected. Let's do it. We need to do something dramatic, not just wait around. I think they figured out that if they just sit on the information, more people might die, especially with the explosion of the Horatio just happening, affecting Picard emotionally. He's ready for some action, and we know Riker is nothing if not a man of action. Going to take the most direct route to solving the situation by, hey, hello, admirals, we need to talk. But I don't think he would have done that. He would have thought that was too extreme. You think so? Yeah, I think he's aware enough of himself to know, not to know where to draw the line, but know that there probably ought to be one. So he's always struggling, like, where is that? That's why he thought that was ridiculous. Like, Picard would never go for it. Was he being sarcastic, you think, when he said that? Yeah, I don't think he was serious at all. He was kind of laughing when he said it. Like, he just never thought Picard would do that. And Picard surprised him there. So, they go to Earth. They do! Oh my goodness, they fly right over the moon. Epic shot. And they still haven't heard from Starfleet Command when they're, like, for them, practically there. They are there. They could be there in 20 minutes from where they are. As soon as they were in the sector, they should have been notified or pinged by Starfleet Command. Hey, what are you doing here? And they have to get to the moon only three days out with our current technology? That's when they call them? It's surprising. No security either. We wouldn't have security for them, probably. Although, you're right. They should still check up on them in case someone else took over the Enterprise or something. Yeah, I was expecting some patrolling ships, sort of like Space Force, (laughs) something like that. Because they are military organizations, so this is the home sector. You're going to defend it. Maybe they went through checkpoints or something like that, but it would be nice to see a little bit more of that. They didn't have time for that. The writers, you mean? The show, this episode, didn't have time for that. That's fair. Oh, I just meant like orbiting the Earth, have some ships patrolling in the background, not necessarily interacting, just around. Well, they'd probably have enough docks and ports up in the Earth's atmosphere to be visible from where we were. Yes, I think so. Also, as soon as they canceled on Pacifica, they should have had some kind of like, hey, is everything okay from Starfleet? Yeah. I mean, they bring that up now, but it didn't have to be serious. It should have just been like a courtesy, are you all right? What's going on? Kind of thing. Check in. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. The screen is lit up with the horrific sight. Of three admirals. Dun, dun, dun. In the same room. How can one room contain (laughs) the negative energy and general destructiveness of three admirals at one time? How? Can it get any worse? Oh, yes, it can. Who should appear? But Remick. No, not Remick. 
Before this episode, he probably had a promising future as the universe's most annoying admiral. But he's no longer um, able to fulfill that future after the end of this episode. (laughs) For those of you who follow us on Twitter, we had a recent poll for the most annoying TNG character, side character, and who do you think won that award? Check it out on Twitter. It was not a tough competition. They're acting weird. They're all way too calm. They're like too calm and not calm enough. Like they're calm in the wrong ways. They're not reacting to the situation in the way that you would expect. Their flagship is returning to Earth unannounced, unexpected, in the middle of a five to ten year mission. Why is it there? What is it doing? It canceled its last plan. It's acting erratically from their Mm -hmm. perspective and yet they're just calmly oh yeah come down for dinner it's gonna be great they know too much otherwise they should be very concerned about picard but also friendlier at the same time once they see he's okay that's what i mean by too calm and not calm enough yeah yeah it's very eerie ominous yeah they're going to dinner but quinn can't make it to dinner he says he's gonna come on board the enterprise to check it out again Initially, Picard is happy because, of course, in coming of age, Quinn mentioned he knew about this conspiracy. He didn't know the full details at that time. He knew something was up, and he was trying to work on it. Picard is happy they're going to have an ally on board. Happiness quickly turns into concern, (laughs) (laughs) disappointment, fear. Yeah, it didn't take him long, Picard long, to catch on to the fact that something was up with Quinn. He picks up almost immediately that this Quinn, while it looks the same, acting the same, something's wrong about his opinions and his ideas, and he's not immediately going, we have a problem here, or wanting to talk to Picard alone. He's like, I want to see my room. I want to see this ship. He's not trying to sequester Picard and get a conversation going on. He's just taking his time and, oh, go off to dinner. It's fine. That sort of thing. Before Quinn beams onto the Enterprise, they show him with the bug thing. When he and Picard are talking, Picard quotes him explicitly on threats to the very fabric of the Federation. And Quinn completely backtracks on that and brushes it off as he was just talking about assimilating new races and Picard blew it way out of proportion. All those things together tipped off Picard that something was off and this Quinn was not his Quinn. They're heavily suggesting a clone situation, I think. Evil clone. I mean, we don't really know. He keeps saying, like, that's not him, meaning, like, he's a copy. Almost like a species that can alter its form, a doppelganger-type situation. Scroll. When Quinn downplays the fabric of the Federation, quote, Picard immediately switches gears and tells him Riker's going to stay and babysit, and Picard's going to go to dinner himself. Ended up being a good idea, but could have gone really wrong. I love the great tracking shot of him tapping Riker on the shoulder and pulling him aside to a different room even, mm-hmm. and then laying it out to Riker. So Riker's mm-hmm. quite happy here. He doesn't protest much in this episode because he's right there with all the action. He's in his element, helping out Picard, being his right-hand guy. So Picard beams down alone, and it is eerily quiet. Picard even mentions this is normally bustling, which you would expect it to be, even though we haven't been there before. And they're like, oh, it's just a quiet day, whatever, but it is not right. Everything is wrong in this episode. 
Yeah, the silence, the empty hallways. You have this sort of like liminal spaces Mm -hmm. and that idea, uncanny. And you can feel, again, the admirals are not acting normally and there is great building of tension throughout the scene. Then it cuts back to Riker after talking to Picard going into Quinn's room and Quinn is talking about superior species. And then Riker wants to know what's in the box. What's in the box? (laughs) And then Quinn just attacks Riker. I mean, this is kind of like demon possession kind of stuff. Kind of. He's so menacing the way he glares at Riker when he starts to hunt him down. Primal. Well, I don't even mean that. I mean, like, how strong he is. His range of motion almost looks like past normal range of motion. Yeah. This episode called a lot on different horror movies. Got some Alien, got some Exorcist, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Got some face melting, classic 80s face melting. I mean, best slash worst, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like the face melting. You're not a fan. It's not scary, it just looks dumb. Fair. So he takes Riker out, no problem, but... Being a horror movie villain, he takes his time, and Riker has time to call security. That's typical. Typical plot points, yes. So, Jordy and Worf come. That's not the full security team, can I just say? No, I thought there should be a few more red shirts to be thrown around. They need to just have a Klingon task force on the ship for this kind of thing. I agree, that'd be cool. Quinn takes Jordy out easily. Quinn and Worf square off. And you think, today's the day. Worf is going to shine. Worf is looking at him, sizing him up, thinking, this is my moment. All my training on the holodeck. Nope. He gets taken out again, just like (laughs) he did by lore. In data lore. And even before that, I said, they really need data in here. He's the strongest one on the ship by far. Yes. It's almost like a WWE match. He calls his two teammates, and they get taken out too. The whole choreography of the fight, a little something to be desired, to Mm -hmm. be honest. I thought they could have done a little bit better of a job. I've seen some really great fist fights in the original series and some really beautifully choreographed close-up hand-to-hand combat in Star Trek. This fight was good, but it wasn't completely convincing or compelling in the way that they structured it. It was nice, though, the way that they showed a difference in the approach and the fighting style of Riker versus Worf. They've obviously developed different fighting techniques for different characters. I think in the original series, they must have had a full-time person who choreographed fistfights. It looks a lot like all the westerns and sci-fi movies of the time, as it's supposed to. Um, All these guys just duking it out with their fists a lot. No martial arts and stuff like we see a lot today. Very western fistfighting. They could probably use a full-time person here. Because, yeah, sometimes the fights are pretty good, but imagine if the fights had been just as good as everything else about this episode. Yeah, this is the only minor flaw that I can really see in this episode. There's a lot of really great things happening. It's okay. Let's be real. They were going to take Warp out no matter who choreographed the fight. That's true. And cut to Beverly, who (laughs) once again is the smartest person in the room, remembering she does indeed have a range weapon and does not need to engage hand-to-hand Hello. with a really strong adversary. Hello. Get that phaser out and blast him. So she does, 
They go back to the med bay. She's got him kind of locked down, and she keeps sedating him. At the beginning of the episode, Walker mentioned that he had suspicions about his first officer, and he had his first officer examined medically, and they couldn't find anything going on with him. Beverly does find out what's going on. She finds the thing. They never named it, did they? That was part of the mystery. Yeah, they never named this weird alien parasite. Okay, she finds the parasite, figures out how it breathes, and figures out you really can't get rid of it. So that's a big problem. That means that unlike most things in this show, it's not fixable. Once you get it, you're done. You're out of commission. This sort of reminded me of the creepy parasitic aliens from Wrath of Khan, which we see Khan use in one of the opening scenes. It also reminds me a little bit of the alien parasites from Stargate as well, which do a very similar thing of taking over the host body and latching onto the spinal column. It's exactly the same in Stargate as it is in this episode. So, climax. Picard gets filled in by Beverly on exactly what's going on. She tells him, look for the gills. You have to set your phaser on stun. All this stuff. Kill, sorry. You have to set your phaser on kill, but he doesn't have a phaser. They're not allowed to bring weapons into Starfleet Command, which is an interesting rule. So it's very much that you have your phone call with someone who has all this information, but you're in there alone, and then you just have to deal with it. That's a classic. See, this is a good example of using established tropes well. Getting the information, but then not having the tools to utilize that information, so you're stuck in a very inferior position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Great writing. It's a horror movie thing, right? final protagonist is facing off alone after the line gets cut oh yeah Mm -hmm. completely again very alien Uh uh-huh it's a lot of things like i said they drew on so many different horror movie ideas but then blended it together really well and doesn't just feel derivative creates original feeling partly because you never really find out what's going on we don't even know what these creatures are called I like that they never tell us. I like that they don't over-explain. it's just something that's happening and we're along for the ride and we know what we know And they do explain enough so we know what's going on, but not so expositing that we're overwhelmed with the amount of information. And we don't need to know what they're called. They're invading. They're bad guys. All we need to know. We think at this moment that Riker attacks Beverly from behind. Great misdirection. Yeah, he actually just startles her. Picard goes in for dinner. He can't stall anymore. And he opens up his dish and it's live mealworms. Gross. This is a kind of nightmare thing that they've done with Riker a couple of times Mm. when he's the character we're following around. Like everything is twisted and wrong and it just gets worse like a bad dream. And uh, that's kind of what it is here. Like he already has this off kilter heaviness. He knows things aren't right. And then maybe the only thing that might have been normal, just sitting down for this pretend friendly meal with these aliens. It turns out to also be twisted and wrong. It's a great subversion of our expectations, and it's overt. These admiral aliens, we'll call them, are purposely showing and mocking Picard. They're showing him that he is ultimately powerless, that they have total control of the situation and the room, and they're taunting him with this information. They're not worried that he might prevail at this point. And they even mention that they enjoy theater, (laughs) just like humans, as a way to explain why they're toying with him so long. Also, the mealworms weren't specifically just to discomfit him. They actually enjoy it. 
The show shows them eating the mealworms with gusto. Just scarfing it down. Yeah, they like it. That's what they want to eat in these host bodies. Something high in protein. Riker gets there, and we think, and Picard thinks, that he is taken over. He's a host. He has one of those gill ports out of the back of his neck. We see a quick shot of that, sort of establishing that he has a parasite within him. He does a great job pretending to be one. Until he tries to eat the mealworms. That's when he decides to make his move because he just can't do it. (laughs) He can barely even reach his hand in there. So disgusting. So Riker takes action. He shoots several of the admirals, which allows Picard to escape. So they kill everyone. They show the parasites skittering away. I was a little concerned at this point how they were going to explain their actions later. Because they killed a lot of important people. I thought they just stunned them. Well, all right. We don't know. They follow the parasites. Dun, dun, dun. The big reveal. Remick is the mastermind behind all of it. I love that so much. It was so perfect for Remick to be the queen hive host. Yeah. Fantastic. He's not really the mastermind. He's just the dummy who got taken over first. I love that. So on point for his character. It really is. And he does that horror thing where they're just like, oh, can I help you? Oh, what's wrong? Everything's good here. You know, meanwhile, he willingly ingests one of the parasites. I love the stop frame animation of it crawling up his leg and then into his mouth. And he just smiles afterwards. The really great prosthetic work of his neck. Oh, yeah. Super creepy. That was maybe the best part of it. I don't know exactly how they did that. It looked really good. They do have the phasers on kill for him, right? Or does it just blow up? I don't know what their phasers are set on. I know in the show they're a little inconsistent with the phaser fire, to be fair. I think maybe it was kill, or maybe it was just so much force from both of them firing at the same location at the same time that his whole head exploded in the classic melty face 80s way. What I loved was sort of the chestburster moment of the queen Mm -hmm. rising out of the remains and this episode was rather adult we've said in the past this is not a show for kids not intended for kids not intended for kids it can be family friendly at times this one though it's pretty gory and pretty graphic they did a really good job drawing on those tropes like you said from the horror genre it was definitely a pg-13 expedition here yes definitely so the queen is there and all the little parasites and uh They save the day for now. Admiral Quinn is okay. His parasite probably died, right, when the queen died? Everything is fine, but they have this great ending where they talk about the homing beacon that Remick sent before he died, and the Enterprise slowly leaves the frame as you hear the beeping of the homing beacon. Headed out into the unknown as it gradually pans into the vast expanse of space. Beep. Beep. (laughs) Beep. Beep. Very ominous ending. I really like that it wasn't just tied up in a neat little bow like normal. They do that way too much. They do like to have their very clean, cut and dried, almost 50 style episode endings. Yeah. It's nice to have that extending possibly into future episodes. I don't know if they're going to return to this idea or not, but leaving the door just cracked open for it is great. Well, they left themselves open to either actually return to this 
or just use this as a reminder that all is not well and they can't defend themselves against every threat. They simply don't know enough. It's a common phrase from us is that they could be killed at any moment by disease, warfare, new aliens. They think that they're so brave, and they are brave for going out there, but there's a lot of deadly things in the universe, and they have to be very careful about Mm -hmm. what they do. Final thoughts time. This episode is great. I really like this episode. The more we talk about it, the more excited I am for the plot-driven excitement that is this episode. I like the tension building throughout. The way this episode drew on horror tropes was fantastic. They had some good visuals throughout, nice establishing shots, cinematography, directing, visuals, all coming together to tell a convincing story. I would give this episode 9 out of 10, Queen Remick. Well, I also loved this episode. I don't have that much to add to your final thoughts. I had heard there were admirals in this episode, and I was prepared to hate on it. However, they met the proper fate that all admirals deserve, so I'm okay with it. And it wasn't really about them. It was about Picard and him handling this uncharted situation where he is already more in the dark than a normal Starfleet captain and has to figure out very quickly what's going on and what to do about it and kind of single-handedly save the day with the help of his very capable crew. It was mostly plot-driven, had a lot of good tonal shifts like we mentioned, didn't really add a lot to character backstory or development. It was just like, okay, we've developed them this far, now let's throw them into action. I think of the purely action-based episodes we've had so far, this was by far the best one. So I would also give it 9 out of 10 mealworms. This has been Season 1, Episode 25, Conspiracy. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. What did you think about this episode? I really liked this episode. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Just so, cutting... Such insight. Much wow. <laughs> Give me a moment. <laughs> Let me think about this for a moment. Follow us on Twitter. Add us at the next next gen. We don't do any paid promotion of this podcast, and your word of mouth helps us to grow our show. Please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. That really helps us out. Thanks to everyone who listens regularly, and we'll be back soon with another episode.